Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 566 on Tuesday, the 20th of February, 2024. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week we'll be yo-yoing with one story. In new new car news, we ask if one brand is back from the dead. And in points of interest, we all get some very good advice we need to heed. But first, we have two bits of follow-up, and I'll start with the first one, which is the news that Cruz, the robo-taxi firm that was formed in October 2013, has appointed its first ever safety officer. Remember, October 2013, this autonomous vehicle company was formed. They do have and have had a vice president of safety and systems. Oh, is that the same safety and systems that was taken down by the independent report that was commissioned by both GM and Cruise? It would seem so. Okay. But Mm. mind you, she was only a vice president and everybody in the US is a vice president. (laughs) Vice president of sanitary facility enrichment or something. I mean, it seems to be what you get around here. Uh, This this is just honestly astonishing. But I'm not surprised because we will now start to hear more and more the words trust and transparency. Mary Barra came out last week, I think, and said how important Cruise is, even though the amount of money they have absolutely burnt through in the last year. Mm. Uh, That does feel a little bit like I've got to say this because we signed it off. But they've been given a brilliant opportunity in which to cut this out, this this money hemorrhaging division yeah for no no upside that i can see yeah it, it's a bit special the leadership at cruise was given an absolute absolute hammering including stuff like inverted commas here in the tech crunch article linked in the show notes um saying that the leadership had a myopic focus on the media's response to the crash left out important facts when discussing it with the public and with regulators all kinds of things that you really just don't do Obviously, there's still many government investigations ongoing, uh, Departments of Justice, uh, Security and Exchange Commission, California Department of Motor Vehicles, California Public Utilities Commission, and National Highway Traffic Safety Administration are all probing the company's actions. And many of those government organizations do seem to be pretty toothless, especially given their response to other crashes with other autonomous vehicles and other autonomous vehicle companies. Yeah, because that brings up the point that there's lots of people who comment on this sector, and and hello to all the new people who've just turned up, that are giving a free pass to other companies Mm -hmm. that are in this sector who have demonstrated no real better way of managing and dealing with what they're doing uh, and handling it. They just haven't run a person over. That's That's about the only difference I can see in all this. Well, the new chief safety officer, Steve Kenner, uh, he has held top safety roles at Kodiak, Locomotion, Aurora, and Uber's now defunct self-driving uh, division. Now, if that's the, the the high bar that they're going for, wow! I'm I'm so glad I'm not in anywhere near where Cruise uh, wants to be testing their vehicles. Absolutely, no. It's just I hate to think how they would get on around here. Yeah. No. Anyway, do you want to take us to France? Moving. Me away before I start to get cross away from San Francisco. <laughs> yes, there's plenty more opportunity for him to get cross in a minute. France has called a halt to its 100 euro a month electric car leasing scheme uh, after massive demand. So originally there they were going to be 25,000 vehicles uh, available on this scheme. It was so popular initially that they doubled it to 50,000. He says doing some, some maths on the fly. 
That's how, how big it was. And then by the end of July, the government said it has received more than 90,000 applications. It has closed applications. Now, how many of those applications are actually valid is a different matter. How many people actually qualify because the qualifications are pretty tight? I think it's probably quite predictable that there is so much demand for this. Either people have applied, which is likely, um, that are not eligible, or the French government underestimated how many households <laughs> were going to hit the criteria, or it is a combination of the two. Once you're rural France, the household incomes are not very high, depending on what you're doing, um, particularly if you're in farming or a, a adjacent to farming and as long as you can cover your bills it's, it's like your great great grandfather built the house and you've got your bit of it and all that kind of stuff mm. it is slightly different perhaps to most parts of the uk so it's probably not worth, really worth a direct uh, relationship there advisor to president macron has said that it's a real success story and symbolic of french environmental policy it's good for the wallet and good for the planet which is quite a, oh, a is wonderful it, sound bite. Blair? i think that's a <laughs> I don't know, but I think it's great. Well done. That's a, that's a level of quality soundbite that you just don't seem to get from British politicians uh, these days. So um, there we go. I hope it comes back stronger than ever because I, I really do think it's a brilliant idea. Uh, that's yes, one of yes, the few it. ideas about subsidising the payment for a new car or enabling someone mm. to get a new car that I actually support at the moment. Yes. Yeah. And that, those tight quite tight uh, constraints on it. Yeah. One of those things that's kind of easier to do in France. Anyway, let's move on to new news. Yes, new news. Well, up until last night, this was going to be a totally different way we were approaching this story. Uh, last week, we were told by the UK government via HMR Revenue and Customs that double cab pickups were going to face a massive hike in their tax liability. They were, thanks to a court case, going to be, uh, for tax purposes, going to be presumed to be a car because they were dual purpose. They were neither predominantly to carry a car or predominantly to carry cargo. And they had been previously classified under like commercial vehicles mm -hmm. uh, and vans, which meant their tax exposure was a lot less, particularly for the benefit in kind. Yes. This all goes back to HMRC versus Coca-Cola. Because what happened was Coca-Cola gave it its engineers instead of company cars. They got, it was a Volkswagen Transporter, uh, and it was a crew cab version. They had two rows of seats, and then the back was vans for carrying all the engineers' tools around the place. They were red, they were liveried, that was great. And HMRC took exception to this because they said, no, no, that's a company car. Definitely a company car. And Coca-Cola said, oh, no, it isn't. It's a van. Look, they're engineers in a van for their job. And this went on for years and years and years. Eventually, HMRC won just. It was really, really close. As I say, it went on for years with neither side backing down. And this is part of the knock-on effect from that. Whenever everybody says HMRC versus Coca-Cola, that, that's what it was. I will bet at the start of last week, there were people in Revenue and Customs who were just like, yes, we've got them. Finally, we've got them. All mm. of these double cab pickups, all that, we've got them now. This is it. And uh, I'll bet you somebody in the government said, so who's this going to affect? And they said, well, it's going to affect farmers and we're going to get more money out of them. Uh, we're going to get more money out of tradespeople. 
Uh, we're going to get more money out of many small business owners who, who, who need to do things and tow things. We're going to get someone in the policy side of government when, hang on a minute, these are people that are going to vote for us and we're trying to be pro-business and you were just slapping however many thousand pounds a year of extra tax on them. No, this isn't happening. I will bet there are some very angry people at Revenue and Customs at this U-turn that they've over something that they've fought for years and years and years and spent an awful lot of government money fighting, mm. uh, working on the basis that that's going to set the precedent that then they're going to roll it in. And politicians have turned around and gone, no way, people are going to, we're going to lose votes over this. There is just no way you're implementing this. There was a huge outcry uh, when this was implemented. So just to give you an idea, if you haven't looked into this story, of what the changes would have meant along the lines of, Say you were a 20% taxpayer and your uh, company vehicle monthly tax bill would be something in the region of £66. Those on a 40% would be spending uh, £132 a month. Mm -hmm. With the change of 340%, which is what was going to happen when it got changed from commercial to car, yeah. is that the 20% employee would then be paying 290 a month roughly and the 40% would be paying 580 a month which is just you know considering there but, is but a, by that by you can get yourself a very nice car on PCP yeah that is just a, a, an astonishing jump that would hit a lot of people who genuinely are using the vehicle for multiple roles rather than owning several vehicles don't forget we're also in a society that has repeatedly been told we need to ease ourselves away from private car ownership use the car less be more efficient with our use mm -hmm. of the car etc these are vehicles that are multi-purpose genuinely multi-purpose and yet they were gonna, they're gonna absolutely kick them in the privates over the tax bill but then this brings up because uh, i've been talking to a few people who deal with this sort of stuff and report on it and I could hear them weeping through the text messages as the story was unfolding and then it got changed last night the tax regime is such a mess mm. and HMRC and the government interchange the language which makes it even worse so they interchange vans with light commercial vehicles with pickups and they're very different yeah. particularly how they're taxed and everything so to mix them all up together is just so bad yeah, this caused a massive amount of outrage from people who genuinely need mm. to use these vehicles. So we're not talking about the management consultants, the architects and the dentists who've done it for the loophole. And they should be, there should be something done to help close that loophole. But a blanket way that they tried to do this, uh, as ever, life is more nuanced than these binary ideas. <laughs> no, th th there's going to be two links in the show notes. There's going to be one from a professional pickup that outlines the original story, and then there will be one from Broken News that explains the the change that how from the 1st of July 2024, there will not be changes. And I'm sure that PPU will be updated very soon as well. So always a good place if you are interested, if you do have professional pickup needs, then that's as, as, as good a website as you're going to get for that. That yep. does just sound like I was damning with faint praise there. It's an excellent website. You should definitely follow it. Yes. Right, talking of trouble though, Alan, do you want to take us to the US or try to take us to the US? I'll try to take <laughs> you to the US and I'll do it via 
Western China, uh, there are thousands of basically Volkswagens of all shapes, sizes, and whatever else. Particularly the premium ones. Particularly the premium ones are stuck at ports here in the US. Uh, the reason is that uh, there is a component of a component of a component which it seems has been made in a factory of dubious human rights in Western China. Things made via slave labor are not allowed to be imported, quite rightly, into the USA, mm-hmm. uh, or indeed should really be imported anywhere. Until these parts have been replaced, then uh, they are not going to be allowed into the US. They're not going to be allowed to be delivered or sold whilst they're here. Nope. It turns out the component is a small electronic component of a larger control unit. Volkswagen heard of this uh, via a tip-off from a supplier. They then notified the appropriate, uh, according to the Yahoo News uh, story here, they then notified the appropriate US uh, authorities uh, and were told they have to swap it out. So as soon as replacement parts become available, they're being swapped out and then the vehicles can be delivered. That's astonishing, really, considering how much pressure... VW Group have been about their factory Mm. in that said region. Yes. And the number of investigations they themselves said they have carried out and found no problems whatsoever. Yes. Brings into question everything they say about that region. Yes. Volkswagen operates a delivery plant and a test track in Xinjiang, along with its Chinese partner SAIC. And they've taken a lot of stick for that and continue to take a lot of stick for that. And the amount of stick is increasing uh, as a result of this story. Volkswagen say that we are clarifying the facts and taking appropriate measures. This may also include termination of the supplier relationship if our investigations confirm serious violations. I do think that by this point, it's more of a hassle for Volkswagen to continue with this than to not, but you don't know quite what they're tied into. Yeah, especially when there's a when their, their largest market happens to be in that same country and negative news yes. would be bad. Yes, uh, Volkswagen, not the only company with this kind of issue. BASF, the German chemical company and supplier of fantastic liveries to BMW M1 Pro cars in the 1970s, <laughs> announced that it would sell shares in its two joint ventures in Kaula in the center of Xinjiang following recent media reports linking Chinese partner firms to possible human rights violations. Uh, so it can be done. But yeah, this is this, it's not good. The Chinese government denies the allegations. There we go. That's our last little legal part. Uh, Andrew, this week's a massive security breach of the week. Yes, does feel like it is every week. But this is the news that BMW have decided, or well, one of the employees did not properly configure a public bucket is the term that's used for it uh, on the internet which held an incredible amount of information and detail and specifications and code that you wouldn't want anyone outside of the company from ever 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 seeing let alone being able to get their fingers on a, a bucket uh, by the way just being a storage server held yeah, online on, storage server online storage server held on other people's computers in this case microsoft azure Yeah, there is no confirmation of how long this bucket was left open, but this is very similar to the issue with Mercedes that we talked about, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now, and the same concern jumps up. Uh, Not, no customer, well, BMW say no customer data was in these, uh, in this um, online storage facility, which is fine. However, 
you could get hold of so much code, like I said before, and so much information and logging credentials, know about their production and development databases for places in China, Europe, and the United States. It's just horrific. Because So if somebody naughty has got in there before this was found and reported, they know so much information about the back end of BMWs, the services they use, the services they provide. And that scares me way more than the privacy stuff that's horrific anyway in the car industry. But that scares me way more because somebody has the potential to weaponize a vehicle or vehicles. Please get better at this car industry. Please, please, please get better at this. Yeah. I know everybody, I know every industry has this problem, but really, for goodness sake, if you see these stories, I hope you are going to your own internal teams and saying, I want confirmation you've gone through everything and double-checked that we're secure, please. Yeah, I, I, and I know that there are many companies, by the way, who are moving off of cloud stuff because yeah. they deal with sensitive stuff that if people find any backdoor in or can find information about them, then that could cause issues. Declouding is a thing because then it's much, much harder to make this kind of mistake. It's yeah. much, much harder to work in a globally distributed way. Hmm. Also, it also is far Risks. more far outweigh the positives. Yeah, exactly, exactly. JLR, they are slowing down their electric car blitz. Has anybody noticed an electric car blitz from JLR? Well, they did say they were going to release, a, was it about a bazillion models in two years' time? I think it was six. It, okay. was, it was going to be six Land Rovers by 2026. In the reality is we're likely to have six JLR products by 2026 said Adrian Mardell, CEO, obviously. But there has been a recent spike in demand for plug-in hybrids. So they're going to try and build as many plug-in hybrids as they can in the meantime. But the only thing they offer apart from the I-Base <laughs> that's electrified in any way. Surprise, surprise. People want it's, to buy them. <laughs> it, it's, I don't know. I don't get it myself. Oh, it's so and, funny. I'm, and I'm worried that I'm being overly harsh. No, I'm worried. I'm worried there's a delay. I'm really, 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 really worried now. Because we were quite worried about some of the stuff that's been happening with JLR and decisions and changes behind the scenes that, you know, most customers won't care about or whatever because they don't notice it. I'm so unsurprised, Andrew. Well, I'm at the stage and, I, and, well. and it upsets me because I want them to be awesome. Yes, this is, and not, this is the thing, this is what surprised. we say each time. This is almost like a tough love thing. You could be great, you could be brilliant, but you, you seem to be doing everything you can to not be. And that's really disappointing. Yes. Anyway, it current, currently, JLR sells plug-in hybrid versions of the Range Rover, the Range Rover Sport, the Evoke, the Vlar, the Discovery Sport, the Defender, the Jaguar F-Pace, and the E-Pace. What I learned there is they're still selling the Vilar and the E-Pace, which I just completely forgot existed, let alone the Discovery Sport, formerly known as the Freelander. But I do like the line after that in the autocar thing. But it is not given any indication how each is performing individually. <laughs> and nor has it said how this, this offering could be expanded. I know, I know. Uh, but I just, uh, blah, blah, I give up, give up, give up, stop, move on. I just, it just, JLR story, so pee me off so much. Yeah, because I want to say something positive. I know. They made a good profit recently. That was in the news. They made yeah, a really yeah, good yeah. profit because they've got over the supply hurdles and they're, they're, they're producing stuff. But other than that, it's, it's please give us something nice to say about you, JLR, rather than going, 
<sighs> Again. What corporate tomfoolery is coming along next? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to move us away from JLR and us being frustrated. And to Germany, where Daimler Trucks and Linda Engineering have unveiled the first public pilot for subcooled liquid hydrogen. And this is their first station to provide that. Now, this has got a lovely acronym with small s, capital L, capital H, 2, uh, to differentiate itself from liquid hydrogen. <laughs> but apparently why this is important, and this is why we're, we're mentioning it, is that it it allows for a higher storage density, which then means that you can have greater range, faster refueling. Apparently, it lowers the costs and is much more energy efficient. Refueling takes around uh, 10 to 15 minutes for a 40-ton lorry that will carry 80 kilograms of liquid hydrogen for a range of 1,000 kilometers and more, apparently, according to this article, which is from greencarcongress.com. It's saying here that it requires approximately 30 times less energy compared with conventional gaseous hydrogen refilling. And the refueling station only has a, a 50 square meter footprint, not including the dispenser. It can be configured in many different ways to allow multiple dispensers and stuff. It's also apparently simpler when it comes to delivering the increased performance because there's lots of things that need to happen when you're refueling with hydrogen, like there's one mm. pipe in, one pipe out to take, take the gas that gets pushed in. Yeah, I'm not exactly au fait on the whole hydrogen refueling and all the rest of it, but... I've done it. It's, it's, it's how petrol pumps would work if petrol stations were invented now. Okay. You plug it in, it makes a sealed connection so there can be no leakages or anything. It cross pumps, it verifies pressure does a check to make sure there are no leaks first. It then gets started every now and again. It pauses uh, to make sure that pressures are still maintained and there's still no leaks, uh, and then it continues. Uh, but the idea here is that you can refill the, the truck in about 10 minutes, which is about the same as diesel. Mm. As I say, it, petrol stations, uh, I think I commented recently, they, they'd never be allowed nowadays. No. Sluicing inflammable liquid around with zero training or PPE. <laughs> no way. Whereas the hydrogen ones, it's, it's everything is sealed. There's no chance of leaks, all sorts of good stuff like that. No point here, by the way, uh, does it mention what color of super cooled liquid hydrogen it, it is. Um, so we don't know if it's green, blue, gray, or, or any other color of the rainbow. Yeah, there's, there's, whilst it does mention how efficient and better it is for the station and delivering, it doesn't talk about whether this is easier, cheaper, quicker, or whatever to actually produce in the, in the original instance. Yes, yes. I imagine it's the same amount of energy plus a bit more to cool it mm. would seem sensible. I mean, I don't, I don't suppose it's going to make any difference to the, the actual hydrogen production end of it. It is, it is merely making the, making the storage and dispensing uh, much, much more efficient. Still significant by, you know, a significant factor that 30 times. Yeah, but in, until it's produced in a net zero fashion, many, many people won't be happy to even consider thinking about it, unfortunately. Oh, even then, they're still not going to be happy considering it. No, no. Because it's not electric. <laughs> uh, talking of electric, do you want to stick with trucks? Yes, and people to considering uh, zero tailpipe emission. Oh, gee whiz, we have to be so careful. Zero tailpipe <laughs> emission commercial vehicles. 
it turns out the market for zero emission HDV registrations has tripled year on year, mm-hmm. but they are still at 0.5% market share. Uh, to give you an idea of what those actual numbers are, it is 265 electric and hydrogen commercial vehicles, uh, heavy commercial vehicles really, uh, were registered uh, in 2023. <laughs> in 2022, by the way, 64 units were registered. A significant jump, but a significant jump in what's what's become available even in the second half of 2023 coming into 2024 and Volvo are really showing off their EVs. Uh, I know Mercedes have had the E-Actros out for a little while and I'm sure it's mm. widening that range. I think there's, I think you can get an E-Iconic as well, which is the Iconic being the, the one that you think of as, as bin lorries. Okay. But which I'm sure Mercedes-Benz will tell you have many other urban applications as well, not just bin lorries. Well, if we don't kill their PR representative by ending well, the first part of the show enough, too early. It should be just fine, yeah. <laughs> Got one more story, keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's 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 that. that uh, interesting seeing the numbers. But I think it, it puts into sharp relief, though, when we talk every month with increasing concern about the EV market share for cars. Uh, and again, this month it's not looking great looking at some of the comments coming out from the car industry and the way they are calling on the government to help with the zero emission vehicle mandate, etc. Eight days of pre-registration to go, folks. Yes. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> waiting to see if Tristan gets any more insider info this month on how much that happens in the last few days. But 0.5% market share, and they've got a 2035 target for zero emission vehicles in, in, in the similar vein that the cars is. So there is certain targets that need to be hit further down the line. And that's for trucks under 26 tonnes is the 2035. Yeah. And the thing is, we have to be realistic about what is out there, what the vehicles are actually used for. So instead of just saying, well, it's dead simple, just get an electric one. That's not practical, whether it's light commercial vehicles, whether it's heavy goods. That's not always what can be done because in the, in the manner that the market is and how people are expected to work. So unless we change the way people are expected to work, mm-hmm. like now, or we get a bit real and go, okay, how can we help heavy goods vehicle manufacturers and the companies that run them get their hands on these vehicles quicker or produce them quicker, then we, we need to temper this just do yeah, it, it is. attitude. It's not realistic. Yes, especially when it comes to trucks. There's lots I could say on this. I'm not going to because now isn't really the time or the place. But things like, you know, tractor units. So the front part of an articulated lorry, for those of you who don't necessarily know, um, they, you know, it's five to ten times more of those are registered, were registered last quarter than box vans or flat lorries or curtain siders or anything like that. Because you can only look at the powered bit and then but no data on the trailers because of the way they, they don't necessarily need registered, to be honest. And then how they're going to be used, it's very difficult to split it. And you can't tax or some, tax something on what style of trailer you mostly expect it to be pulling. It just doesn't work. No, as we've seen with the double cab, there yeah, are nuances. Yeah, it gets, there are many so nuances. And, yeah, and, and so much difference within use cases, even on companies side by side. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, exactly. Anyway, let's move on to the next story, uh, which is very, very different. Despite the fact yeah. you managed to string a few together on a theme there. Yeah, I know. 
Look at us. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you very much for the help on uh, recommending those articles, by the way. But this is uh, our stab at occasionally being a consumer-orientated outlet uh, and letting you know that the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, is investigating a bunch of rejected complaints over high car finance interest rates that happened between 2007 and 2021. It's higher purchase agreements is what it includes, such as PCPs. Yes, it's definitely not leases. Sorry, I read elsewhere. I read through this and into the tool because it might be worth me punting a couple of applications in on this one. I know it's not leases. Yeah, what happened in, during that time is that the brokers were allowed to adjust interest rates, were possibly encouraged is the uh, inference here because they received a larger, um, yes, incentivized because they, they then got a, a nicer bonus for doing so. But Martin Lewis has uh, created a tool to help you if you think you have been affected by this guy. Now I sound like one of those clickbaity adverts on YouTube. Hmm. Have you owned a vehicle that once possibly did something? Then come to us rubbish solicitors so we can stick you together. Well, he's explicitly no. saying not to go via rubbish solicitors. Yes. So he's got this free tool that you can fill out that will be linked in the show notes as well as the part Parker's article, which explains this more fully than we are doing here. He's done a, a calculation. He's got a tweet, um, but he says that, and I'm going to quote the tweet here, I've done back of the envelope numbers and at the top end, this could be PPI type scale brackets. That was 40 billion pounds, close brackets, big enough to be a form of quantitative easing brackets. So real consequences for the next government as it'll likely take a year, close brackets. So this is potentially huge of what's happened. And because normally you're only allowed to put a complaint in up to six months after mm -hmm. you sign the deal, but there's, there's something's changed here. and because of the previous rules, companies have rejected these complaints, and that's what the FCA is looking into and going, oh, are they trying to wiggle, wiggle out of this on a technicality? Well, not sure yeah. we're going to allow that. Yeah. Interesting one. Do follow the links through and do take a look at the tool. Don't, and I wouldn't expect you to because you listen to the Motoring Podcast, uh, don't run off on any of the lawyers who will go jumping on this because they will take a cut as well. Uh, the yeah. tool's quite easy. I took a look at it, and it should be as long as you can find dig out some of the paperwork, uh, you should be able to 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 find that that information. Yeah, and uh, why he is recommending to do this is because it's to get your complaint like a uh, a flag in the sand to make mm. it known that you wish to make this complaint, and yes. don't expect them to answer in the timescales they are normally expected to because the FCA has put a pause on that sort of thing because they're expecting. One, they're investigating, Many. but two, they're expecting this huge number of people to appeal. There's also a list of loan companies and stuff which didn't allow this behavior. It points out that if you used any of these companies, and there's a list of about 20, it's not worth putting something in because they explicitly banned this practice uh, and they're not covered by this. Mm -hmm. So that's our good deed of the week, I think. It is very much our good deed of the week. Uh, we were worried there wasn't going to be enough to talk about this week, and I think it's quite the opposite problem. However, we are now at Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel that Motoring Podcasts worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. 
We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we do completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they are released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever play your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and some of you do so, thank you very much. Then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everyone that does. Mm. Very, very much appreciated. Yes. New, new car news. Uh, Nissan Duke. The Nissan Duke has been facelifted, but not on the outside. It looks just the same on the outside. There's nothing wrong with it. I, I, I actually quite like the look of the Nissan Duke, especially this Mark II version, where they could make it smoother because they didn't have to engineer it for the USA. So they didn't need to have all the sticky-outy bumpers, which is what happened to the Mark I. They have, I can't believe it's five years since this generation was launched. No, I can't believe that either. Yeah, it sold, they sold 30, almost 32,000 in the UK last year. Uh, it's one of the UK's best-selling cars. You do see them everywhere. Best be registered. So they've decided that, that actually the outside doesn't need to change because everybody loves the way it looks. And if you buy a Duke, you buy it because you do like the way it looks, to be honest. Or you're not completely offended anyway. Or you're not completely offended. Exactly. So what they've done is they've looked, they've looked at the inside. The facelift is, is all interior. It's all under the skin. Uh, they've got new materials, better fit and finish, larger touchscreen, upgraded smartphone connectivity uh, are amongst those. I presume that means wireless now instead of wired. Yeah, probably. <laughs> the interior league designer, uh, Sebastian Jesus. I was hoping you were going to say this quote. <laughs> said, we wanted to make it feel as though you're in a jet fighter. When you're inside, everything is quite close to your side. Positioning that screen and playing with the orientation, it plays with the emotions. <laughs> RIT, oh, I'm not fantastic. sure. I think that's a bit much for a small Nissan interior, to be perfectly honest. The original, I admire the ambition. <laughs> I, so do I. The, the original Duke, the interior was styled like a motorcycle. It's like you're riding in a motorcycle. Uh, that's why the original. If you ever look, if you're ever in an original Duke, Mark 1 Duke, then, or the area around the gear stick, where the gear stick sticks out of, it's like a motorcycle fuel tank uh, for that reason. I will say it is a very nicely, very highly driver-focused cabin in the Duke now. Uh, everything very much points towards the driver. Uh, and I'm sure many Nissan Duke buyers and drivers will appreciate that uh, as they barrel down a B road, barely touching the brakes and um, heel towing their way through the CVT yes. box. Constantly. I, I don't mind the, the, the CVT was appalling in the launch cars in that I was like, oh, this isn't bad, this isn't bad, this isn't bad. And then I did something which confused the heck out of it, like moving off from a start. It's popular, it's there, there's there's worse cars out there. <laughs> oh my god. There's worse nice. cars out there. If you there like are. this sort of thing, you're going to like it, as you said exactly. earlier. It's, exactly. It's, it's, uh, it's, it is not aimed at me, uh, and my previous experience with previous generation is not one of my most lovely moments. She had an unofficial Therefore, test car at one point and hated every moment of its little rental being. I think yes. is actually what happened. I did. You got two engine options. Uh, you can have a one liter turbo petrol triple, uh, which comes with a six speed manual or a seven speed automatic gearbox. Oh, not a CVT now. Okay. Uh, while the hybrid has a 1.6 liter petrol four, an electric motor, and a 1.2 kilowatt hour battery. 
I think I would be aiming for the hybrid personally. Yeah, remove that dead zone. Yeah, pricing is expected to be slightly higher than the current £20,985 base price. I'm sure it'll do really well, because it's up against the Puma, really, isn't it? Especially in looks terms. Uh, it is, yes, yes, yes. And the, the type of vehicle, so those two usually... Oh, I was going to say duke it out, but that's so poor of me. I'm sorry. Uh, for which one does better? I just can't fault. That was so bad, I'm just not going there. I'm ashamed at myself for that. As you should be. Uh, so I'm going to take us to something that isn't dreadful, and that's the new Aston Martin Vantage, which brings a 656 brake horsepower V8 and a new interior. It is apparently going after the 911 Turbo, and the V8 is allegedly as powerful as the V12 which is interesting. You look at it and you go, yes, that's an Aston Martin. That's basically my feeling. It's But not, what I would say is that I'm not much of a fan of the new grille, as in the shape. I like the what they've done in the shape, but I don't, I think I'm not a fan of the, it's too the shape, the, the hole. Somebody yeah. shared, I think it was Doug from Doug's Cars, shared a picture of, of uh, you know, the, you know when they did the, the last V8 Vantage and they tried to move away from the, that style of grill, the mm. grill we're talking about, and they had the sort of where it only followed the upward. And I couldn't help but think how much better that looks than the front of this. I, I actually do not find this an attractive car at the front. I really like the back. No, I, I'm struggling around the front just because of it's that. Just too that derivative. The hole is massive. Uh, I like the actual grill itself because they've done something a little bit different there with it. <laughs> they have made. They've basically, you are going to get minced pheasant if you hit anything <laughs> coming it's through one, that. It's a 177. <laughs> it, it's just. It's just Aston Martin but the, but the back end and the shoulder line is is lovely. I know I I quite like the profile, apart from the fact you can see the side of that gopping great grill. But mm. I just I'm just I kind of wish. Well, the trouble is, I think that the last time Aston Martin tried to move away with that grill I've just described, then people went, oh, uh, so they're kind of trapped in this constantly having to rehash the same stuff over and over I, and I over I think again. they have to get brave again. It needs a bit of a kick in the pants, really. Yeah. Um, but I'm if, just if we, like, if, oh, that's Martin, that's nice. Move on. It's a bit like, it's the, they're lazier than, 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 than Porsche at this point. <laughs> but if we talk about uh, other aspects of the vehicle, they've got a uh, Mercedes-AMG derived V8 again. Uh, it's four litre capacity. And it's going to be blown by a pair of turbos, according to this Autocar article. It's 656 brake horsepower, 590 pound a foot of the torques. It is, this all goes together to make this as quick as the outgoing V12 Vantage with a 0 to 62 mile an hour speed of just 3.5 seconds and a top speed of 202, apparently. It has a chassis brain. Oh, God. I blame McLaren for that. I blame McLaren for that and for Chris Harris for saying how absolutely amazing that chassis was and how somebody went off to do a PhD about it and that's what they've done when he did mm. the review um, and he took it around the racetrack mm. in one of the early Top Gears. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it was astonishing engineering, don't get me wrong, but you've now encouraged others to talk about this. Yes. In this naff way. Actually, it's worse now. It says, the new, e the new Vantage's EDIF, managed by its next-level chassis brain, where chassis brain is in inverted commas, should allow it to put down its torque in a way the V12 Vantage simply didn't. It's fantastic for all you helmsmen and wheelsmiths out there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Anyway, 
The inside looks nice. The inside looks really nice. I am sure it is going to be lovely to drive and it's going. I hope it's going to make an absolutely stonking noise as well. Yes, same here. <laughs> Do you want to take us to the other end of the market? Gonna get lynched. <laughs> uh, the other end of the market, Lancia. There have been so many sneak previews, including one falling into a ditch. It was a bit more than a ditch. It was a bit more than a ditch. It was quite <laughs> bad, actually. Lancia has finally shown off press pictures of its new Ypsilon. You don't need to be scared. Hasn't been sold here <laughs> for a long time, it feels like. We've got two in that are regularly seen in our local Morrison's car park. Chrysler Epsilon, that seems about right. So these very much, if you buy a it traditionally if you buy a Lanshell Chrysler Epsilon, then you're not someone who's going to be driving vast distances as a matter of, of principle. It's going to be an electric super mini. Uh, it's going to have up to 250 miles range, but that's probably going to be irrelevant for most buyers, if they're anything like previous buyers. So it is based on the generic Stellantis B-segment hatch <laughs> platform, so the 208. Which really comes through if you look at the, if you look at the um, profile. In it profile. Really... As with all the cars on that platform, the profile is very familiar. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, but the front end is, I think, the best interpretation. I out think of it's kind of cool. The others, I really like. I like the look of this generally. The color's amazing as well. They've picked. Well, yes, the color in the press picks is particularly lovely. Uh, I still think it'll look nice eight years down the line when this is parked at the side of the street in Milan with with every single panel bashed up is what you often see Ypsilons in, in real life. I think the front actually has a whiff of Nissan Duke about it, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Um, in the sort of headlamp positioning and, and things, it looks classier than any of the other, any mm. of its platform buddies. I'm looking at Andrew as I say this, just to make sure it's not me. I don't know, yeah, no, having no, a fever I, dream I, or something. No, I really think this is the, the best executed of the small hatchbacks that have come from the Stellantis group. And I really like the rear with the two round tail lamps. In oh, fact, in fact yeah, I think the, the, the rear looks particularly good. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, obviously, it was introduced at Lancia's headquarters in Milan. Milan, you see these everywhere. As I say, generally a bit bashed about, a bit old, and a few years down the line by the time they're being street parked. But Again, for as a way of dodging around the city or from the city out to the ski slopes, uh, where you don't need or want a big car in Italian cities to try to park, to try to, to live with, but you don't need to go very far either unless you're going to take public transport, which is, of course, a more sensible option over longer distances. Then this is cool. I, I really like it. They're saying that the bodywork features the soft, elegant, pure and sensual shapes of the Aurelia and Flaminia combined with the most modern expressions of radicalism inspired by the brand's sporting history embodied by the renowned Stratos and Delta, and by the language of architecture, furnishings, and fashion. Which is a bit much, mm. but I can see some of that. I think they went to the same school as the, uh, uh, the Nissan. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> the Nissan uh, explanation. <laughs> yeah. One thing I do find interesting, or there's two things I find interesting. One, I think the wheels look amazing. Mm. But two that they have Lancia plastered across the front bonnet and across the back, which I think is part brand recognition efforts. Yeah. Because no one's seen one outside of Italy for, well, it's got to be about a decade. So it feels if like, you, yeah. If you're unlucky, 
because the the examples we were allowed were pretty poor. Mm. I think it's really clever that they've gone EV purely because this allows a rebirth and will be hitting people who don't really know the history, uh, although they've got yeah. they've aped to it here for the for the likes of us. Mm-hmm. So they can come out with whatever they want. Yeah, but they've fortunately made it very stylish and good looking. It's uh, it's priced higher than the equivalent Peugeot and Vauxhall slash Opel, which costs from oh, thirty. You surprised me. Thirty-one to thirty-two. <laughs> well, it, it, yeah, exactly. Well, it has to be there because it's a more looks looks. I mean, the picture, even the interior, is kind of cool. And Brand has confirmed the car will be sold in European countries such as Spain, France, the Netherlands, and Belgium, which makes a lot of sense because these are countries with. Big cities uh, where people need small but even quite luxurious cars, um, and however it's like to confirm a UK entrance. So yeah, I think that's cool. Love the idea of it. I think it looks pretty good. Uh, I think it's it's that's, to me far more interesting than the new Aston. Okay, I'd be happy with both as a It'd be quite two a two car, car garage. garage, wouldn't it? That mm. would actually be quite a cool two car garage. I'll give you that. Totally. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to take us to Designer's Mood Board. And we said we'd keep an eye on this, and we expected some news soon because of the unexpected nature. And I wasn't that surprised, but I was a little bit surprised how quickly we found out. But uh, Massimo Frisella, who was the uh, was at JLR and left unexpectedly, is now being unveiled as the head of Audi Design, succeeding Mark Litcher. Is it Litcher you pronounce that? I'm going to, I, I would aim for a Lichter, but I don't know. Lichter. Okay, Mark Lichter. Sorry, I do apologise um, for murdering that. But this is this is interesting because there's some fantastic quotes in this Automotive Design Planet article, which give me some hope for the future design language of Audi, because there is a lot of uh, talk about how he got the job because of part of his enthusiasm. Uh, his dedication, it says in this article, to bringing design talent through, uh, looking for innovation and distinction, but also how he wanted his design, how he likes his designs to be devoid of unnecessary decorations and not following trends, which I like the sound of that a lot. And that, if you look back at recent JLR products. What, you mean like the Defender? The Defender. The picture here well, is him beside a Defender 90. So I would imagine that's the kind of thing we were meant to be thinking of. I was thinking also sort of the Range Rover, the latest Range Rover. Yeah, I mean, it's unlikely Jerry ever got his ink on his fingers. So that also is, is likely. Very, is very understated mm-hmm. in terms of design. It's very um, simplistic is, is the wrong word. No, it, but there are, it is not full of sluices, swash, swashes, swishes. It dents. It, it uses sorry, so, creases it, it and all uses, it, it it uses minimal forms. Yes, thank you. I knew you went to uni for a good reason. Yeah, <laughs> and that gives me a little bit of hope that Audi can return to a more restrained visual impact. Yes, shall we say? I think so. I'm sick of slashy stuff. Yeah. So that's well, good, good luck news. to him. Uh, and he is, he's really enthusiastic and he's very eloquent because if you saw his goodbye statement, mm, it was um, really... that was a wonderful piece of writing. That was, that was, uh, I think it was on Instagram. It was definitely on LinkedIn. So this is interesting. Well, uh, Lisch is moving somewhere else within the company and it hasn't been announced exactly what that is, but I think he takes that over from the start of 
June or July. I can't. I remember think it's the start it of yet. July from memory. Yeah, which is which is when um, when when Frischella takes his his role. Yeah. Good luck. Yes. Points of interest this week. Uh, we're starting off with a lunchtime watch. Lunchtime watch is uh, get it while you can before it turns into a drag race. The uh, Evo Car of the Year 2023. I mean, uh, uh, as ever, uh, fantastic cinematography, beautiful scenery, and better than when it's going to be at Bruntingthorpe in the future, I'm sure. Are you saying, Alan, that you're not confident in the new management of said publication? Nah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, list of the week and to help. <laughs> is that it? Is that all? <laughs> you're not well, even, no, it is wonderful. You're not going to argue more. with me at all. Okay. No, not no. at all. Uh, uh, I've all the comments I saw on social media about that were worried. Mm. Was the most polite and mm. not impressed. It it went on to the, yes, I, I, the I end have, of the I scale. Have, I have issues with car sellers owning news and review outlets that that's yes. that's the core of that by the way not joe i mean if anybody's got half a brain cell they'll stop little drag races and focus on this kind of stuff but we can't guarantee that mm. so yeah I, I just don't like car sellers basically buying up all the all the all the news uh, and review distribution outlets when they clearly have something to something to they have a finger in the pie uh, essentially, I, I don't think that there that's is very right. much a vested interest. Yeah, that's the word. Vested interest was what actually what I was trying to say, and I, I couldn't think of the words. Yes, exactly. But great video. Go watch it. Enjoy it. Love, yeah. love the Savor car. It. Love the car. Savor. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I'll take us to list of the week, and to help the new head of design for Audi, we have the best modern Audis ever made. <laughs> Apparently, from Autocar. Not sure I agree 100% on all this, but as ever, because his personal choice comes into these things. But do click the link in the show notes to see 26 slides. And Alan, have I given you enough time to get to one vehicle? I had pre-chosen it in the hope that it would do it before messing up. And the, the, the caption is not the vehicle that I have visible in front of me, which is, is quite strange. I have chosen the 1984 Audi 100, the one which showed off its uh, drag coefficient in the windows. The CD, mm-hmm. is it 0.32 or 0.3? No, 0.3 it says. Yeah. It was 0.3. It was 0.3 if you took the most basic model of the lot, which meant that practically none of them had that. But that's <laughs> not the point. It's the forward through technology. It's the very, those simple forms and shapes that we were talking about before. I really don't think it's dated that much. No, um, I think you could, you could bring that out now um, you with a couple of touches, with a couple of touches. Obviously, you know, it's got to have 22 inch wheels. Yeah. As one of them. Yeah. It's like four, <laughs> 14s but, or but, 15s or whatever. But it's, yeah. I have always liked that, that in, in either saloon, which was far rarer in the UK. Or estate version. Um, I mean, the two hundred is, is cool as well for the same reasons. It just, yeah, no, no, that that's definitely my choice. I feel that it's been, it wasn't as good before that, and it's not been as good since that either. I mean, if there are some pretty strong contenders, I'll give you that um, A8s and stuff. But no, that to me is peak. But I think the E Class was uh, 
the W124 of a similar generation was, was peak Mercedes-Benz yeah. as well, for similar reasons, yeah. to be honest. Uh, and the 5 Series, equally. Uh, yeah, that's a bit more tricky, that one. Yeah, this one was really tough for me. Uh, I had uh, uncles that had Audi saloons for years. I got to sample them a mm. lot, and I have a, a fond memories of them. So there is a ton of options in here. Do feel free to click through and let us know if you agree with Alan on his choice there. Of course you do. You're sensible. Speaking of sensible, and finally this week, was a small plea from a friend of the year, uh, Major. Not just a plea, though. I think it was a nice reminder it for us was, all It was, and well. it definitely gave me the, the, the kick up the bottom to go, to go and do the same, to do what he was saying, uh, which is just stop and go for a drive. Uh, there's a bit more to it if you read the article on Petrol Blog that will be linked in the show notes uh, by Gav, which is, which is great. It's Gav, so it's great. Just remind it's just how nice it is to just go for a drive and, and not go for a drive to do something or go to a drive for the reason of it, but just to go for a drive. In the last few months, I haven't really done that. Mm. And um, so I, I sort of read it, and it was a nice afternoon on, on Sunday, and I thought, oh, well, I kind of need to put fuel in the car, but it's not desperate. I thought, where is somewhere I haven't been yet that's relatively nearby that might be quite scenic? And I, I went, oh, Hull. That can only be nicer than the British equivalent, and lo and behold, it was. And I... Uh, <laughs> Can't be grim if it was. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just lovely. Uh, I feel I can say that because I've done lots of work in Hull, so I am, I am speaking from knowledge, personal knowledge. So I, I headed off to the Natasket Peninsula just for the fun of it and the only reason well, I stopped to take some pictures of the scenery the only reason there's a picture of the car is because it was such a fantastic mural I just couldn't pass up on it would have been a shame nice. not to but yeah that's just, I did that on, on Sunday afternoon and sure enough having spent much of the week inside in my smallish apartment feeling like rubbish it was just nice to, to get out and to, to do it I went for a short walk but it was so freaking cold and windy uh, but it was absolutely, it was, I caught golden hour. It was absolutely gorgeous. It was the right thing to do from a sanity point of view. Thank you, Gav. I encourage more of you to do the same if you can. That, I think, is that this week, Alan? Yes, I just think we were worried there wasn't going to be enough news. I haven't cut yet. No, exactly. It could be quite <laughs> a lot. Could, quite a lot could be hitting the bid. But yes, uh, that's it uh, for this week, everyone. Don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback. Share your thoughts with the show at Motion Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook and on the contact page at motionpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Uh, don't forget the audio version show, as well as other little snippets, as I think they're interesting, will appear on YouTube as well. And you can like and subscribe us uh, subscribe to us on there too. Andrew, uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to know more about stuff? I don't know. Miserable <laughs> things. To, yeah. Well, yeah. What's making me angry this week? Uh, <laughs> best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter or Mastodon. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. Now, Alan, if people would like to delve further into why you picked that Audi, What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter or uh, Blue Sky. Again, in both cases, uh, my username is at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, we'll be back next week. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.